Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. And this week we are back on track talking about Strixhaven's story. This is week two, so if uh, you head over to the Wizards of the Coast story website, you can find the second main story and the second side story in the story section. But before that, we have a couple quick pieces of news. Congratulations, Strixhaven. You are now out in the world. It's uh, updated on MTGO and Arena, and pre-releases have happened, whether you are in a country where you can actually go to paper pre-releases, or if you are picking things up for a pre-release at home, maybe playing over webcam, you, you can have physical cards in your hand now, and I think that's neat. Very proud of the set. Wrote name and flavor text for it, and also we're obviously worked on uh, the Arena VO for the Planeswalkers, and uh, it's, this is one of the most fun sets I've ever worked on, and I really hope everyone else enjoys it too. And you should definitely check out her descriptions about everything that she was thinking while she was writing the uh, text in her Twitter thread, because it was awesome. At Lorelei Writes on Twitter. It is uh, probably my favorite part of release weekend, or at least arena release weekend, is uh, Lorelai's thread on writing the voiceover work. It's really nice to read. Uh, it's the catharsis of Steam being released from my NDAs. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it feels like. I, I get lots of anticipation, like the week leading up to arena updates. Uh, our second news item is the uh, Black is Magic secret layer is delayed. Yeah, so it's just been delayed a little bit, which means if you ordered the Black is Magic Secret Layer, which I know I did, you're it's not going to actually be released until May. Uh, I think May 13th is the date when it should be shipped out. So if you ordered it, keep an eye on that. You probably received an email about it. But just in case you're one of those people who orders things and then forgets entirely that you ordered it, uh, you should probably check your email and look into that. Thank you, because I totally need to do that, because I do not get that email, or at least I don't think I got that email. The way that they're handling these secret layers now is that you are charged when it ships and not when you order it. Uh, so if you did place an order for it and you forgot about it, uh, you're going to get charged for it on like May 6th or something. So keep your eye out for that and make sure you don't get caught uh, accidentally not having cash in that account for some reason. Pandemic has screwed up a lot of production things. Uh, there's been a lot of small delays here and there uh, in various regions, and it happens. Um, but uh, once he's been pretty good about announcing when delays are known ahead of time. So, uh, yeah, check into that. Uh, and then uh, the final piece is the Legends of Strixhaven article did go up. It went up last week, so you can also head over to the Wizards website to read that and learn about all the legendary creatures from uh, Strixhaven the card set and Commander 21. So those are always fun. And uh, yeah, just, just check it out. And then I guess we're just going to go right into story, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, some of, the, uh, some of the legends from that article feature in the stories for this week. Uh, so good stuff to read if you're interested in the story. And so we're going to start with our uh, second main story uh, titled Lessons. Hey, that's a subtype on incense and sorceries in this set. <laughs> Convenient. We we open up with uh, a few vignettes that pick up uh, after last week. So we, we start with uh, Taver, who is an Auric mage who uh, Professor Oryx found rooting around in the Biblioplex. I think you said Oryx. 
Onyx, yeah. Oryx is a type of gazelle. Brain, brain, brains connect things in ways that they relate to each other, and sometimes that means linguistically. <laughs> the next Professor Onyx card is going to turn your creatures into gazelles. They're going to be three threes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is really funny. <laughs> God. So... Uh, confirm going to Jamura? Is that is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> anyway, so Taver, this Auric mage who who is trying to steal a thing, is trapped in Strixhaven and is like worried because like you know this lady looked like she was ready to heckin' murder this person. Like they're not ready to die. They're just like they're just doing their little cult activity with their little secret dark mage society. Like come on, uh, and and heads back to uh, the Auric hideout. And then uh, we get another little vignette for, uh, quote, Stinky Man has just arrived on Arcavios. Thanks, Chris. Uh, this is Luca, <laughs> who, uh, after everything that went horribly wrong for him on Arcoria, is, uh has found his way to uh, Arcavios and uh, is in the wilderness and is tired and lost and hungry and thirsty. And he finds this little town uh, and, and goes into this inn and uh, orders a meal. But, you know, he's a stranger. And when you have dark mages running around, you got to be wary of strangers. Stranger danger! Stranger danger! Yup! And so uh, this whole bar fight starts. And Luca flexes his bonder powers and mind controls a whole bunch of animals in the village, including a horse. Which, uh, Chris, you also wrote, including a horse, which is objectively terrifying. Correct. Horses are frightening. Don't ever fuck with horses. Horses are beautiful and peaceful and docile, wonderful creatures. But the moment they're angry, they are the scariest thing you've ever encountered in your entire life. And I do not want to die by getting stomped to death by a horse. Like, the story implies that someone got stomped by this horse. And that is just terrifying they also will bite you i have been bitten by a horse before they are valid to eat fingers tj from the ponder podcast will agree uh, i had one step on my foot one time but i was conveniently wearing steel-toed boots that day Ooh. like i i saved my toes i will just put it that way Jeez. Um, but yeah luca is a scary stinky man who uses horses as weapons yep there there's a reason that the the final story spotlight card for him in Accordia was titled Weaponize the Monsters. And then we come back to Liliana. Uh, I'm sorry, Professor Or. Uh, God, I almost... <laughs> yeah, I am confused. I'm just going to call her Liliana. I'm just... No ruses. Uh, so we cut to Liliana, who uh, is visiting the den of the Elder Dragon Belladross Witherbloom. Uh, the Elder Dragons don't spend a lot of time on campus anymore. They mostly just do their own thing out in their own ways uh, and uh, leave schooling to the deans and administrators on campus. And so she is here looking for uh, answers to etheric reincorporation, like a true resurrection spell. She spent... 200 years raising the dead but never actually bringing anyone back to life uh, and she wants to figure out how to do that she feels a teeny tiny little bit guilty that gideon is dead just just a tiny <laughs> okay it's soul crushing 
It's soul a crushing gift. gift. <laughs> um, and so she has this uh, discussion with uh, Belladross, who is, uh, you know, I, as the founder of Witherbloom College, is extraordinarily knowledgeable in the essences of life and death and how to manipulate them and make them useful in different ways. She is very avoidant and cryptic uh, in response to Liliana's questions and uh, references a moment, a child of a professor glade fell. And Liliana's like, look, it happened before. Quote, for all our sakes, Belladross does not want to repeat that event. And that sounds terrifying. That sounds like something went horribly wrong. They brought him back yeah. as a horse. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And that's how we got nightmares. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, there's this wonderful touching moment in this scene, too. But now I won't be able to stop thinking about Liliana as a gazelle <laughs> and this horrible, Jeez. horrible resurrection spell that brought back a nightmare horse. <sighs> this is what happens when a, a someone who's not a ninth level cleric tries to cast true resurrection on you. And they fail on the Arcana check. Uh, yeah, there are a couple quotes. Uh, Liliana says, please, he took my death. Help me give him back his life. And Belladross's response is very unsatisfactory for Liliana because she says, the pain can be unbearable at times, but in the end, how we honor the dead is reflected in how we treat the living. Which is basically telling Liliana, hey, if you really care about this Gideon fellow... Don't try to bring him back to life. Just try to live as he would want you to live. Nope. Yeah. We don't want horse Gideon. <laughs> Why, Krista? So then the story hops back to uh, when Luca arrives on, uh, I almost said, Akoria. Jeez, words are bad today. Luca, having not eaten at the inn and gotten rest, is uh, climbing through the mountains. And uh, there has been a rock slide and there's this uh, big, big friendly looking fox. Uh, that is kind of stuck under some rocks and uh, Luca rescues the fox, but then like passes out when he wakes back up. There's like a whole bunch of berries around him because this fox brought him food to eat and he reaches out with his bonder powers, feels the comfort of this fox who is like instinctively protective of this injured person that it's found also. Uh, so they're just kind of two two injured wanderers uh, in the mountains there is this moment of comfort of um, the the bonder powers are empathic. Uh, they are not like a psychic connection like Jace would make. Um, they are emotional. Uh, and there's not, it's not just Luca reaching out to creatures. It's creatures reaching back into Luca as well. And he feels a lot of the contentment and compassion in this fox. And there is a richness to this bond that Luca is like, hey, I don't, I kind of actually missed that connection. And it's this fleeting moment. It's very quick uh, because he gets up and leaves. And and as Chris says in the notes, and the fox deserves so much better. Yep, really he's does. a cinnamon roll too pure for this world, much less Luca. So Liliana, uh, you know, seeks out the Archaics and doesn't get any answers. Uh, and uh, on her way back to the Strixhaven campus, she runs into some Auric uh, doing a weird spell at this white elk, which is uh, a servant. They're deer things, uh, magical deer things, uh, and they catch it in a cage. And then we jump back to Luca, 
who is really grumpy about this whole world. And uh, he stumbles upon a bunch of Auric as well. Uh, and they are fighting a Dragon's Guard. We talked about them last week in the Flavor Gems episode. These are the uh, peacekeeping force that the Elder Dragons uh, send throughout the plane to fight the Auric, protect the school, protect towns and villages, teach people magic in the field, that kind of stuff. And Luca, being an asshole, sees all these people and was like, you know what? We's just gonna fight everybody. Because he's a soldier, and he only knows how to do one thing, and it's fight battles. So he's gonna start a battle. And so he summons a whole bunch of critters from around the area, and easily dispatches the Auric, but the Dragon's Guard is much more talented than they are. And, uh, she almost defeats him until, <gasps> surprise, the fox jumps from, from out of frame, and, uh, I probably kills this lady at Luca's command and and so they form this bond and he names her Mila. You know, if if she's going to fight for his life then he might as well keep her around. It's a really kind of touching moment that Luca does not deserve at all. <laughs> it's a touching moment that he doesn't understand. Yeah. That's like one of the big tragedies of him as a character is that he has this fantastic gift to connect to wildlife in really fundamentally profound ways that most people are never going to get to experience. And he squanders it at every moment. He has no idea how lucky a lot of people would see him as, and he has no idea how cruddy he is because he just cannot get past the idea that bonders are trash. He's self-loathing in that regard, and that internalized hate prevents him from seeing his own potential as someone who could do a lot of good in the world. And that's why he's a villain. It's a key part of him being a villain. Yeah, an important little side note about this whole scene with Luca and the Dragon's Guard and stuff is that he um, he sort of just like uses his magic and calls on all of the woodland critters uh, and other beasties he finds in the woods. And he ends up snagging uh, what we know as a mage hunter from the card set. Uh, it's described pretty clearly in the story as a mage hunter. And the Dragon's Guard is like super thrown off by it. And it's scary to her. And she like has to struggle to kill it. But she she does. It's not really like that big of a deal. But it's still something like clearly she's concerned about. Um, and that's why we know he recognizes those when he meets them in the first story. Because this all happens before his little vignette in the first story because time so that that solved that mystery yeah a after this event is when he um kind of follows the, the oryx stragglers back to their base and they uh bring him into the fold and then uh the the story ends with liliana realizing maybe she's not going to be able to bring back gideon she might actually just fail here but she thinks about belladross's words and I, I like that a lot of the post-War of the Spark uh, story is everyone who knew Gideon having their What Would Gideon Do moments. Nissa obviously has a ton of them in the Zeneca Rising story. I, I believe Jace does. I can't remember if Kaya ever had the moment in Kaldheim. That was only a couple months ago, but... I, think, I, I feel like Kaya didn't really have as profound... A connection a, to him, yeah. Yeah, as the rest of the Gatewatch did. But uh, yeah, Liliana's like, look... I can't bring Gideon back now, but I know one thing, and that's this school is going to be under attack by the Auric, and nobody is taking this threat seriously, so I guess it's up to me. And she, she notices uh, 
Rowan Kenrith walk by her office window with her uh, gleaming uh, sword and uh, magical talents from around the multiverse. And if Liliana's going to recruit anyone to try and fight, it's going to be a planeswalker. And that's where the story ends. Yeah, there's like a little side vignette uh, shortly before that where we kind of meet Extus and he's doing evil magic stuff and he like... Oh, did I accidentally yeah. skip that part? Yeah, you, you totally did, but it's okay because <laughs> it's really just... It's really just a big banner that says Extus is the villain. He's going to attack Strixhaven because there's a snarl and he wants the power. Uh, yeah, it's just Extus like literally does like that cliche villain thing where the experiment fails and so he throws it against a wall and then yells yeah, at great. one of his attendants. It's just like, it's one of those little cliche moments that you're really just like, ah, yes, thank you. You have identified the villain. I appreciate this. <laughs> Extus is not very complicated. He was uh, passed over for Oracle. There was one Oracle at any time on Arcavios. He thought it was going to be him, and then it went to Jodzi. And so Extus was like, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to go learn all the forbidden magic that y'all didn't think we should learn, because he's a snooty silver quill jerk. Um, and so he spends his life taking over the Auric and learning all this forbidden magic and make Arcavios great again kind of crap. He sucks, but like he sucks in a way that is very familiar t to a lot of fantasy dark mages. So sometimes you just lean really hard into uh, tropey stuff and it's fun and enjoyable. Yeah, I love it. And, and that's Extus. He's very punchable. <laughs> but yeah, this story is uh, some... Good small character moments, um, especially for Liliana and Luca. Liliana's the same person, but she's also becoming a different person. It's not like wrestling, right? Where you do a face turn and now your whole shtick is different. She's still selfish. She's here for herself. But maybe helping herself can also mean helping some other people along the way. Uh, the little discussions she's had with Gideon over the time in the Gatewatch is uh, maybe a little more forefronted in her mind than it used to be. And we'll see where that goes. I uh, I do love with Liliana in this story. Um, she goes and has that moment with Witherbloom, with uh, the dragon Witherbloom. Um, and uh, like it leaves off on this like really like uh, wisdom kind of moment. Uh, and you're, you kind of think like, oh, maybe she returned to the school and gave up on her on her attempts to bring back Gideon. It's like, no, actually, she went and spent, like, a week hunting for Archaics to try and find the resurrection magic she was looking for and then gave up. Because <laughs> that's so Liliana, like, here is the wisdom you need put right in front of you. And she's like, actually, I'm going to go do the thing I want to do first. Just to make sure, double check, that I can't do it my way. And then I'll circle back around to this if, uh, if that doesn't work out. She wants to do things her way. Uh, yeah, yep. that, that that was a great opening, Brian. Like, like she is very driven, very goal oriented. That hasn't changed. She's still the same person. Just a lot of the search feels like intentionally to her quest to heal Josu, which she didn't succeed in. She screwed that up big time. When I look at her here, this is a Liliana has tried to do this thing before and failed and. Holy heck, she is really determined to find an actual answer. She's had closer closure with her brother, but now there's this new wound. And 
damn it, she failed before, and damn it, she's not going to fail again. That's bad news for someone who might be trying to do someone impo- something impossible. She She's actually, uh, it's interesting, because her, her story and her origin story actually kind of intersects with our side story for this week, too. Um, where we get That's to meet segue. the Witherbloom student. That's a segue. I do those all the time, Lorelai. Um, this was a good one, though. <laughs> wow. All right. No more segues for you. <laughs> but yeah, this week uh, is our side story number two, and it's about a uh, Witherbloom student. If you are uh, keeping up to date, the side stories were delayed by a week. Don't know why. One of them was supposed to be released on Good Friday. Maybe that had something to do with it. I suspect that is why. Yeah. But also, it means we're still on track because we're uh, like two weeks behind in our podcast episodes. So we're good. Um, So side story number two is The Chains That Bind, which is all about Dina, the Witherbloom Dryad student, who uh, is really cool. This is a really good story. Um, It starts out in a very funny situation uh, where Dina is, she's like a tutor in Witherbloom. And that's a thing that like, you know... We, are, we, we think about these, like, colleges at Strixhaven as being kind of siloed off. But, like, just because you're in Witherbloom doesn't mean you can't tutor people who aren't in Witherbloom. Uh, and she's tutoring a first-year student uh, whose name is Maraf. And uh, Maraf is a first-year, and uh, he wants to be in Quandrix. He thinks he should be in Quandrix. Uh, but Professor Tavash, who is one of the Commander Legends uh, creatures, uh, thinks he is... Better suited for summoning, but lacks motivation. Uh, and so Dina is having tea with Maraf, and Maraf is just the worst. He is incredibly rude and haughty. He's just an absolute jerk. So arrogant. He says that Dina should look into counseling instead of being a mage, because she's so clearly much more, uh, much better at being a counselor. <laughs> he is just so awful. Ugh. There's a moment where she's, like, sipping her tea, and she thinks, this is fine, uh, while Maraf is being a huge jerk, and it's just hilarious, because it's just that comic. Like, and she's reflecting over the notes that Tavash gave her about this guy, and they're lining up perfectly, and it's just like, hmm, yes. Yeah, so, like, a few minutes after drinking their tea, uh, it cuts to Maraf, who is uh, scrounging around for ingredients for an antidote to this, like, enchantment or hex that Dina put on him. Um, that's making spiders crawl out of his ears. Uh, and it's like a learning opportunity. He's, he's been motivated to learn about, uh, how to, uh, counter this hex. Um, it's, it's very funny, but it gives you an idea of who Dina is. She's very intelligent. She's very capable. And she's also very, uh, inwardly focused. Like she's thinking a lot of things. She's, uh, dwelling on a lot of thoughts. She's not necessarily like engaging Tavash in like a long discussion. So after that scene, uh, she returns to uh, the Witherbloom College's headquarters, and she runs into uh, the two deans of the college, Lisette and Valentin, who are absolutely a hilarious pair together. They have quite a relationship. <laughs> I, I, I really like their rapport in this scene. Yeah, their, their rapport is just great. They're like working on a spell together, and they're just kind of like quipping at each other. Um <laughs> There's a great moment. Uh, Dina comes in and she's like, hey, have you seen Professor Tavash? And they're like, uh, no, he's at some intercollegiate meeting. Valentin's like, I don't know why he'd ever want to go to those. And Lissette's like, well, you know, there's refreshments. Um, 
basically. If you've ever worked at a higher education institution, you know that sometimes you go to meetings just because there's free food. It's really funny. Lisette suggests that Dina uh, join them and go to a Prismari party later that evening. Dina says no. She's got work to do. Um, there's a little back and forth between Lisette and Valentin where Lisette says, you know, Valentin, you can go with your friends. And Valentin's like, oh, I have friends? And Lisette goes, well, you have me. <laughs> and Valentin's like, oh, well, I apologize for having misled you. <laughs> that was my of, favorite part of the story. Like, It's very funny. But uh, Dina kind of, she says she has work to do. Uh, she's really just making excuses not to go to this gathering. Um, she's walking through campus and she looks out and she sees all the like Witherbloom people dressed to go to this party and they're wearing their, um, you know, bio goth outfits with their like spider web veils and all those things. But most importantly that she sees some of the other dryads in the college who are wearing these like exotic textiles and these flamboyant outfits that are kind of created to show tribute to the groves that they came from. Uh, and Dina remarks upon the fact that she's wearing just a plain brown robe we learn a lot about Dina and her relationship to other dryads and specifically her history as the story goes on, but it's, it's just a stark sad. contrast between them. It's very sad. It's incredibly sad. Um, this is a very depressing story. Anyways. Dina's depressed. Dina is definitely depressed. Which is understandable considering that she lost her glade to some kind of magical sickness that takes place on the plane, as we find out later in the story. Yeah. She, she instead of going to the party... She goes to this special tree that she has kind of co-opted in the detention bog. Uh, and it's like this giant tree with like a hollow interior that she has uh, enchanted to with a glamour to keep it hidden from other people and made it so you can't scry in there. Secret workshop. Yeah, a little secret workshop. Uh, and she's got this like big special fancy book that is like covered in scale mail and chains. And it's all this whole book about a true life from lifelessness and bridging the barrier between the living and the void. And it's basically, it's a book about resurrection magic. Um, and she's been stealing ingredients uh, for this big spell there at the end of this book uh, from the deans, basically, because they're not paying any attention to her. And so she'll just like take little bits of ingredients for the spell here and there. She really needed uh, this one ingredient though, that, she couldn't find anywhere on Arcavios. She couldn't find any record of it on Arcavios. She couldn't find anywhere. It's it's a it's a weird plant. It's a very familiar plant. And she finds a sampling of it in the office of one Professor Onyx. For for the deep lore fans, she is the ingredient she's looking for is Essus root. Which, if you don't remember, go back and read the fourth pack, Liliana's origin story. So we get a little bit of a preview of what might be happening in this story. She gets a little bit of the essence of the root of the Essus plant. And she takes it back and she starts doing her spell. She goes out into one of the bogs in the detention bog. Well, she goes out to one of the like pest mounds, like the really boggy bog areas. Um, and she's got all these pests there who she's named after people from her glade. She talks and thinks about how her glade was destroyed by the brittle blight, as she calls it, which came through and turned, killed all the life in her glade, turned everything gray. Um, she was only saved by the fact that Lisette showed up right before it got to her and took her away. Um, so she literally owes her life to Dean Lisette. Um, but she has a plan. And so she starts 
casting her spell and she has to sort of it's implied that she's going to sacrifice these uh pests that she has there and she's going to bring them back as part of the spell uh and she's in the middle of doing it and then some silver quill student is just having a tantrum in the detention box and throws everything off well literally is throwing ink magic everywhere and hits dina's spell as she is casting it it don't go so well yeah the the student is uh killian lou uh who has been put into the detention bog uh by his own father because he he messed up in a game of mage tower and lost them a point and lost them the game and his father <sighs> decided that he had to punish killian for not applying himself and gave him detention Sneak peek for that familial relationship. Um, not a good one. Uh, so he interrupts her spell, and the the spell like ends up doing really awful things to the trees. Uh, they end up running away together from the spell. Dina's like, "Oh, come on, Killian, we got to go back to the college and you know let them know what's happening." And Killian's like, "I can't." Uh, and he shows a little sigil. Yeah, Dina, as a dryad, can hear the trees speak, and uh. As the spell is coalescing and turning into some kind of creature, uh, she can hear the trees cry out that they're in such pain and why were they sent to the void. Uh, and if that sounds familiar, go back and read uh, the fourth pack to Liliana's origin story. <laughs> they go back to where the spell was being cast and they see like this path that was clearly made by some sort of monster and it's headed in the direction of the school. And so they're like, oh my god, we have to go save them and tell the school and... Killian's like, I can't leave the detention bog because my father put a sigil on me that makes it so if I try and leave, it'll pull me back to the center of the bog, uh, which is, you know, definitely a healthy thing to do to students. Um, anyways. So messed up. It's very messed up. Uh, so Killian and Dean are like, all right, so what if uh, we follow the monster and we try and figure out uh, how we can stop it? And they're walking and they like walk side by side and Killian thinks he needs to go ahead. It's like, you know. There's subtext. Anyways, um, but they have this, like, conversation about loss. Killian is like, you know, I lost my mom when I was very young. And Dina is like, I lost my entire glade, um, which means every member of what is essentially my family. And Killian's like, that's rough. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> it's a it's a good moment. I recommend reading the story for those, like, little character moments we can't really sum up. But they, they end up finding a clearing where it looks like the monster's been there recently, and they find a wounded vine clinger, which is like a beast of some kind. Dina, like, knows that it's wounded, and she's like, oh my god, we should save it. And Killian's like, it's a monster. And she's like, I'm gonna try. And then she tries, and then it tries to kill her, and then Killian ends up kind of killing it. But she has, like, a moment where she communes with the monster, the, the vine clinger, excuse me, and she can see that the result of their spell is, like, some giant murdering baby is how Killian describes it. Um, Dina says, our giant murdering baby. So, very cute. It's not. It's not cute. Um, their relationship is cute. Their little friendship that buds yes. during this is very nice. But they uh, they end up chasing after it, and they find it, and they hatch a plan. And so, Killian thinks he can reverse the spell, because part of it is his ink magic. And he's like, hey, I can reverse that, but I just have to get to the heart of it. And it's currently encased in all this decaying matter that this monster is just collecting as it goes through the bog. Uh, and Dina's like, all right, well, I have an idea. I'm going to do this. You do your thing. They kind of split up. 
Um, they enact their plan, and Dina uses a spell that she learned in her very first year of how to petrify something. And using that spell regularly, they pull on life magic from pests. But in this case, Dina pulls on it from herself. So she's using her own life magic to petrify this monster that they created. Um, and then Killian just starts wailing at it with his ink magic and just ripping it to pieces, uh, definitely working out some uh, father issues on the monster. He's yeah talking to it like it's his dad. He's He's got some problems. That kid, yeah. It's a Kylo Ren mood. It, it could yeah. also be part of his word magic, too. Who knows? That is true. We, we might learn more about that in his story later, but... Yeah, he's definitely... Uh, his words are definitely very cutting. Um, and he's cutting into the monster, but he ends up kind of getting a little distracted by it. And the monster, you know, swipes him across the chest. And Dina ends up having to stop her petrification spell to encase him in some roots in a tree and save his life. But the monster crashes down onto her. Um, and then we cut to this this vision that she's having of her her home glade and her like dryad family her community and she has this revelation that she has to stop the monster and to do that she has to take back from it what she put into it and part of casting her spell included putting a drop of her own blood into the magic and so she realizes she has to take that blood back and so she sort of visualizes the blood in the monster and she pulls it back into herself um, and she blacks out. And the next scene we get is her waking up in an infirmary with uh, Dean Valentin, who is a little upset with her. Um, uh, turns out Killian dragged her out of the swamp. We don't really know exactly what happened, but the spell seems to have been stopped. Killian brought her to the infirmary, which is conveniently on Witherbloom campus. Valentin knows everything that happened. Uh, Dina is thinking she's going to get expelled, but Valentin's like, no, this is a learning institution. You are here to learn, and clearly you've learned. Um, <laughs> so I, I love that the Ruther story, Ruther's like, oh no, I screwed up, I'm going to get expelled. And in this story, Dina's like, oh no, I screwed up, I'm going to get expelled. <laughs> Which I imagine is a thought that goes through most students' minds here at Strixhaven, because it's a magic school and things go wrong. Yeah, the, the funny thing about this scene is that it's Dean Valentin who's there, and he's the one who's, like, kind of comforting Dina when she wakes up from this, you know, terrible experience. Uh, and Dean Valentin is not the the nice one of the two Deans. He's kind of harsh. His bedside manner is severely lacking. <laughs> he's um he's the mono-black uh, character. Um and he's fine. I think he's a good he's a good teacher. He seems like a very nice guy. He relates to her a little bit. He tells her, like, you know, I've messed up too. Um, but we find out the reason why it's not Dean Lissette is because she's currently uh, in Professor Serafina Onyx's office. We get a first name. Um, her first name is Serafina, apparently, whoever this Professor Onyx person is. Uh, and Lissette barges into her office and slams down the book, the fancy book that, that Dina had been working out of, and is like, um, I think this is yours. And Lisette is just oozing venom at Onyx. She hates her. Even more importantly, she says, I know who you are and I know what you are. Which is ominous. Lisette uh, makes it clear that she does not want Liliana there. Uh, she does not want Liliana associated with any of the students. She wants her gone. 
which is um, not surprising, honestly, knowing Liliana's history. I also would not want her around children or students of any kind. None of these are children. They're adults. They're young adults. Young, young adults. It's a different marketing bracket. <laughs> uh, well, it depends on what age they are, because uh, young adult is anyone under 18, but above like 16. And then new adult is like the 20 to like 23 Whatever. Range. It doesn't. The important part is Liliana <laughs> opens this book, looks at her old notes from when she was a student because Dina found Liliana's old notebook when Liliana was trying to figure out ways to cure Josu. Then casts a spell and destroys the pages of the book, uh, erasing the spell forever. Liliana has a moment where she's like, ah, yes, this is exactly the kind of thing I would need if I was trying to resurrect Gideon, but I'm not doing that anymore. And then she caresses the book and destroys it. I'm a deep lore goob. And I I just love that there are literal direct parallels to the Josu moment. The tree shout the same things Josu does when he gets cursed. Uh, We bring the Essus root back. It's great. Uh, It's also fascinating that Liliana keeps like an Essus root clipping. I don't know how she got it to Arcavios, but she has it. Maybe she brought it there before the mending and it's been there the whole time. Oh, that's a good point. That was just what I was about to say. Yeah, no, it's just, it's really fascinating. Uh, There's also a Ghostbusters reference in this story. Dina's asked what her hobbies are, and she says she collects spores, molds, and funguses, which is also what Egon Spengler says in uh, Harold Ramis' character, and Ghostbusters says uh, when he's asked uh, by Janine what his hobbies are. Uh, And I appreciated that as someone who loves the original Ghostbusters. Did not know that. It's been a while since I've watched that movie. It's It's a good short story. I really liked it. Me too. I really hope we see, like, uh, Dina again in Killian's story, but who knows? Maybe not. We'll see. Their friendship is probably one of my favorite things that's so far been in these stories. Is like, this sort of... I love those, like, moments where you have the two people who are, like, not meant to be friends, but they become friends because of the circumstances, and they find out how much they have in common, and they work really well together. And I'm like, that's... I like that. That's a favorite, little favorite trope of mine. Unlikely friendship's good. Uh, also, trauma bonding is a mood. Yep. As someone who has gone through some traumatic shit, it is uh, extraordinarily relatable. Dina's extraordinarily relatable here. That girl has traumas, and she's making bad decisions because of it, and that's very relatable. No, I like her. I mean, in fairness, she doesn't realize it's a bad decision. She assumes that if it's in the in the bibliotheque, it's that it's a verified source of magic, right? It's it it should work the way she expects it to. Uh, it's it's very clearly in the forbidden section of the biblioplex. <laughs> she she knows that this is not this is not good magic. But it was also a flawed piece of magic from the jump, right? But she doesn't yeah. know that. I, I do love having uh, Liliana as a side character and one of the side stories, uh, but it also sort of relating to the main story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff this week. Looking forward to next week. I still have not read. I don't read ahead. So I have not read episode three. Um, side story three should be out uh, by the time this episode comes out. And I have not read that either, probably by the time the episode comes out. So <laughs> get it in little, get it in little spurts and, and, yeah. 
Uh, well, then with that, uh, we're going to head into final thoughts. Uh, my final thought for this week is uh, I'm very excited. So I've I've been playing a uh, Thirsty Sword Lesbians campaign for a couple of months now, and it's very fun. Um, big fan of uh, Powered by the Apocalypse TTRPGs. But uh, someone in a group who uh, is going to be GMing our next campaign uh, really wants to play a Forged in the Dark game. And uh, I've been really wanting to play any kind of mech game. Uh, so we're going to do Beam Saber and... Uh, so I've, I've been, we're a couple months away from it, but I've been brainstorming a character concept and I'm very excited. Uh, and uh, I, I spent like all my morning this morning listening to the Evangelion OST while like doing pit crews to brainstorm character visuals and doodling some robot concept pieces. And uh, it's fun. I've been doing stuff like this since I was like five years old. This is in my blood by now. Um, my final thought is, uh, <sighs> abolish the police. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. Not to get political, but that that's all I'm going to say. No, we can get political here. Cops aren't allowed to listen to the Vorthos cast. Yeah, I can, uh, I'll second that. That's my, my final thought was also going to be, uh, abolish the police. They do not help anyone. They, uh, only hurt people. Just get rid of it. Toss it out the window. Yep. See, no, it's the it's the heading into the final part segues that have been awkward. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you two hate cops and think they shouldn't <laughs> exist, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthoscast and uh, donate and help support the show. It's unrelated to that. And really, if we are talking about activism, there's way better places to put your money. But uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can um, support the show and get access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world have been really enjoying magic stories so far uh, for this set. And, uh, you know, everybody's been doing their little pre-releases. And we've got a nice little community where um, a, a, lot of, a lot of great folks and uh, everybody is welcome to join. Uh, unless you are a cop liker, you know no cop likers in the Vorthos cast Discord server. And uh, otherwise, uh, thank you, listeners, and thank you, patrons, for uh, all your support. We love doing the show, and we love bringing it to you every week. So uh, thank you, and this has been the Vorthos Cast. <laughs>